Hello, and welcome to the Faithful Forebearers. Episode 9, Hildegard of Bingham. Hello, and welcome back. So last episode we had some fun, with Horosvitha, the clarion bell of Gandersheim. This episode we're going to look at another medieval woman with a cool nickname. We'll see Hildegard of Bingen, who's also known as the Sibyl of the Rhine. Now Hildegard is a very fascinating figure, as you'll see. While every person we've gotten to know so far has been complex in their own way, I think Hildegard's going to win the prize for complexity. It's hard to put her in a category. She's not just a theologian, a scholar, an administrator, or a playwright. Turns out she's all those things, and a lot more. Hildegard is remembered for her piety, her theology, her visions, her music, her plays, her political influence, and her medicine. She was a pretty busy lady. But before we get too far, let's look at the world of Hildegard. So 150 years have passed since our friend Hrosvitha, the playwright, and about 50 years have passed since our friend from two episodes ago, Anselm of Canterbury. In this time, for the most part, things are starting to look up for Europe. This is the beginning of a period sometimes called the High Middle Ages by historians. At this time, the Vikings had been Christianized and stopped being a serious threat to the European powers. And there was an increase in population, and things were at least relatively peaceful. The Crusades, well, not great, kept warlike knights at least a little busy, and far away from the peasants they liked to terrorize. And trade overall was flourishing. Now pretty much all of Europe was Christian, and because of that somewhat united. So the church and the pope were enjoying a time of great influence and authority. And this proved to have some benefits and some drawbacks. The benefits were a common culture with trade and ideas. But a huge drawback was corruption. Since the church had such power and authority, many people flocked to it who just were interested in the power and authority part. Some bad bishops would use the money given to the church for their own personal enrichment instead of using it for the benefit of the people or the upkeep of church grounds and buildings. Some bishops would not even bother residing in the same city or region where they officially held office. Some would even become the bishops of multiple cities, which usually meant they ignored one, or very commonly ignored both. And to top it off, they would sometimes practice simony as well, which, if you remember, is when you just sell a church position to the highest bidder. Imagine how bad it would be if you just gave the position of pastor at your church to whoever would pay the most for it. Yeah, not good. So while there was corruption and conflict, we can't forget that there were also many faithful Christians trying to stop that corruption. One of the most famous during the 1100s was a man named Bernard of Clairvaux. For most of his life, he would work to reform the church. And he will be a pivotal part of our story. But we're not quite to Bernard yet. So let's get back to Hildegard. Hildegard was born in 1098, which, remember, means she was born 150 years after Hrosvitha and 50 years after Anselm. She was born in Germany in a town called Bermersheim. Her family was big, and she was the 10th child. And her family was wealthy, too. 
but they decided that they would dedicate their youngest child into the service of the church. Now, this may seem a little harsh, just handing your kid over to work for the church, but from later writings of Hildegard, it seems she went willingly. She certainly did not harbor anything against her family for it, and in later life she would even write against the practice of forcing young people into the life of a monk or nun. But she never claims that's what happened to her. So, at age eight, her family gave her, and she went willingly, into the care of a pious noblewoman named Yuta in the town of Spanheim. Yuta took care of Hildegard, and she began to search for a suitable convent for them both to join. A nearby monastery in the town of Disembodenburg just opened, so Yuta decided that her and Hildegard and one other unnamed girl would start their own convent attached to this monastery. Now we need to remember there were many different ways of being a monk or a nun in the Middle Ages. Remember back to the time of Boniface and Leoba in the 700s, monasteries and convents were mission outposts, specifically made to interact with the community around them. Remember, that's how Germany became predominantly Christian, through these missionary outposts. But there were also monasteries that did the opposite. They were made not to connect with the world, but to cut one off from the rest of the world, so that one could contemplate the mysteries of God even better, and live an even more pious life. This is the kind of place that Hildegard and Yuda and that other unnamed nun, would live. In fact, officially they were cloistered nuns. Cloistered means that they were physically, literally, walled off into a small area that was totally isolated from the outside world. Several years passed in this very isolated life. As a nun, there would be regular times of prayer, fasting, singing, study, and work. And it was a hard life. The point was to focus on God and to overcome all the other distractions. Yuda taught Hildegard the Bible and to sing. And it's likely that during this time, Hildegard fell in love with music. As we will see, music for her would often be a symbol of the divine beauty and the beauty of God's creation. Before too long, Yuda and Hildegard became famous for their piety. Now, I'm not exactly sure how they became famous, since they were physically walled off and isolated. But regardless, before long, there were many other women who wanted to join the convent. So the enclosure opened up. Over the next 20 years, this convent at Disabodenburg grew greatly. During this time, Hildegard apparently learned Latin as well, and read a great deal. But she never had polished Latin, like Hrosvitha. She never had the formal training that many other scholars and writers did. But she knew the Bible inside and out, as well as many writings of Christian scholars and philosophers and theologians. She would not quite have the same sophistication in her writing that many others did, but as we will see, she will more than make up for it with her own inventiveness. Yuda died in 1136, when Hildegard was 38, and Hildegard was then elected to be the new leader of the convent. Now the abbess, Hildegard, decided that she could start sharing something with people she had never shared before, sharing that since her childhood, she'd regularly had visions. Hildegard experienced these visions since she was a young child, but had decided never to tell anyone. She first had one when she was three years old, and she says she started to understand them when she was around five. But she always kept these secret because she wanted to make sure she knew where these visions were coming from. 
Well, we may like to think that medieval people were very gullible, which I don't think is the case. They too would want good evidence that the visions they were seeing were truly from God. Hildegard wanted to make sure they weren't from somewhere else, like a demon or the devil, or even from something she ate the night before. Since she was now the abbess, she began to document these visions with the help of her friend, a monk and priest named Volmar. She felt that God was now commanding her to share these things. For instance, in one vision, she heard this, You are touched by my light, which touches your inner being with a fire like the burning sun. Shout and tell. Write down these mysteries which you see and hear in the mystical vision. Do not be afraid, but tell the mysteries as you understand them in the Spirit, as I speak them through you. So these visions, like biblical visions or dreams, often took a lot of interpretation. But Hildegard knew the Bible very well, and she would interpret these visions herself through a biblical understanding. Now, some of these visions are very bizarre-seeming, and they're always very vivid. But Hildegard shows how these complex visions show complex biblical truths. Let me give you an example. Hildegard says, And I saw a shining flame glow white, and suddenly a dark sphere of air appeared, huge in size, upon which the shining flame struck many blows, and at each blow a spark flew up, so that soon the circle of air was brought to completion, and heaven and earth shone forth in fullness of perfection. The burning flame of heat moved towards a small clump of muddy earth, lying on the circle of the ball of air, and it heated the clump of earth, turning it into flesh and blood, and breathing life into it, so that it rose up as a living man. Okay, so that's kind of weird, right? And she goes on for a while with this vision. But then she explains that the vision is showing creation. The shining flame is God who creates this dark sphere into perfection. And then God brings to life man from the earth. She continues the vision to show all of creation, the fall, the Old Testament, the incarnation of Jesus, and redemption. Because she knew the Bible so well, the interpretations of her vision were always very biblically based. This helped her when she decided to make these writings public to the wider world. Just like now, in the 1100s, most people would be pretty skeptical if someone started to claim they had visions from God. And Hildegard was very aware of this, so she wanted to make sure these visions were approved by the church. So Hildegard went to someone who she thought would be the fairest and the wisest of her day. She went to Bernard of Clairvaux. So remember, Bernard is the great reformer of this time, calling out corruption in the church. Bernard was renowned throughout Christian Europe as a man with integrity and piety. He had helped reform monasteries and brought a spiritual seriousness and energy back into the church. He was one of the most respected churchmen in Europe. He was so respected that in 1131, when a crisis broke out, as two people claimed to be pope at the same time, Bernard was chosen to help sort it all out. And a while later, in 1139, one of Bernard's own students would become Pope himself, Eugenius III. So knowing how respected Bernard was, Hildegard decided to submit her work to him. This was a smart move for more than one reason. One, he was very respected regardless, and an endorsement from him would give her legitimacy. But also she did this because the Pope, being a former pupil, 
would likely take Bernard's recommendation as well. And if the Pope endorsed her, then she would not have to worry about being maligned or attacked for her visions. So in 1146, when she was 48 years old, she wrote Bernard a letter. We still have the letter she wrote asking him for guidance. Here's a little bit. Give me an answer as to what you think. For I am a person ignorant of all teaching and external matters. I am taught inwardly in my soul. Therefore, I speak as one in doubt. Hearing of your wisdom and piety, I am conformed. Because there is so much divisiveness in people, I have dared not speak of these things to any other person except for one monk whom I tested with regard to the integrity of his monastic life. Father Bernard, I want you to reassure me, and then I will be certain, whether you want me to say these things openly or whether I should keep quiet. She sent this letter along with some of the accounts of her vision. At the time she sent them, Bernard was at a church council with Pope Eugenius. Bernard was impressed by the letter and by the visions, so impressed that not only did he tell Hildegard to keep writing, but asked the Pope to officially approve her work. The Pope did exactly that. Hildegard's writings were then made public, and being approved by the Pope, and being very vivid and beautiful, they quickly became popular. Soon most educated people in Europe knew who Hildegard was, and she was a bona fide public figure. But this new fame also caused some problems for Hildegard. Hildegard, with this new fame and respect, wanted to be free and pursue her own agendas now. But her current convent was attached and subordinate to a monastery. And sadly, the abbot of this monastery was stubborn. So, when the abbot would not let her go, she appealed right over his head. And very quickly, she was granted her own new convent in Rupertsburg, near the city of Bingen. Here she was able to have the independence she wanted. She continued to write a great deal about her visions, and they were published in three separate but interconnected works. The first one is called Know the Way, which was published in 1151. The second called The Book of Life's Merits in 1163. And the last one called Of God's Activities in 1173. All of these contained very original imagery, but they were always biblically and orthodoxly interpreted. So her visions are what made her famous, as I mentioned before, but they were by no means the only thing that occupied Hildegard. First off, she continued to be the abbess of her convent, which was no easy job on its own. And apparently, while she could be harsh at times, she was also very unique and even playful in her leadership. She would let the nuns wear their hair down sometimes, which I guess is not something you did back then, and on special feasts, she gave her nuns tiaras and sometimes even wedding costumes to remind themselves that they were betrothed to God. She would also write her own music for the nuns to sing. And as it turns out, this was one of Hildegard's greatest talents. Music was the mainstay of life for monks and nuns. During the day and during the night, there were seven times of prayer and song, usually praying through the Book of Psalms. As Hildegard grew up as a nun under Yuta, she soaked in this music. But music was not just some way to remember scripture for Hildegard. For her, music was a representation of God's sustaining goodness. In her writing, she compares music with the beauty of creation. 
In her letter to Bernard that I mentioned before, she speaks of the word of God as being the sacred sound by which all creation resounds. Creation and beauty and music go hand in hand to Hildegard. Hildegard wrote many songs for her nuns to sing, and it was all very original. And she did not have any classical training in music, so she does things that were fairly unorthodox for the time. Here is one example of her songs, O Ruber Sanguinis, by the chant group Psalentes. So I don't know music theory that well, and I'm not a musical historian, so I can't tell you all the different ways she's breaking the mold. One thing I have learned is that she would make leaps much bigger than normal in the music up and down. And also, her music was very melismatic, which is a new word I learned just today. And that means that one word is sung up and down over multiple notes, not just one syllable per note. And Hildegard did not just write songs, either. She took a page from our old friend Hrosvetha's book and wrote her own play. Her play is called Ordo Virtutum, or The Play of Virtues, and it tells the story of a soul being guided through life by different virtues. It's a bit different from Hrosvetha's comedies, for one, because it's a musical. And it's also different because this play was actually made to be acted out by her nuns, not simply to be read. It contains 82 songs, and all of the characters sing, except one, and that character is the devil. He just shouts his lines. And that makes sense in Hildegard's understanding of music, because the devil has broken the divine harmony. Since this play was written for the nuns of her convent, it's probable that her old friend, the monk Volmar, got stuck with the part of the devil. Sorry, Volmar. Somebody's got to do it. As we've seen, she liked to be inventive with the nuns she was in charge of, and in the same vein, she also made up her own language for them, called the lingua ignota, which just means in Latin, the unknown language. And she might have invented it just so that she could have fun with her nuns, kind of like how you and your best friend in fourth grade made up a secret code so you could pass notes to each other. So just like many people we have learned about, she had a mind that was always busy, and love to create and play. But still, this is not all that Hildegard set her mind to. She was also very curious about medicine, the care of the body, and science. Now, at her time, the current understanding of the human body came from an ancient Greek doctor named Galen. Now, Galen was a smart guy, but unfortunately, there were some big problems with his medical theories. Through him, it was believed that there were four types of fluid in the body, which all had to be held in balance. Each one of these four fluids, or humors, loosely was associated with one of the four elements, earth, wind, fire, and water. If these humors ever got out of balance, you became sick. 
This is why leeching used to be a thing. It was believed that you had too much blood, and to bring you back into balance, you needed to get rid of some. Now, hopefully you already know that this view is not correct. And while Hildegard believed this theory, she also learned some valuable things from it. Most importantly, she took to heart this lesson of harmony and balance. She strongly believed that the body, the mind, and the spirit were all related, and that something wrong in one would affect the others. And in modern medicine, we're learning the same thing. The brain and mood and body are far more complex and connected than we realize. So it makes sense why now many modern people see Hildegard as a forerunner to the holistic approach to health. This holistic approach, along with her high regard to music, also led her to invent a form of music therapy. She wrote two whole books on the subject of medicine, one called Physica and the other Causae et Cura, which literally means causes and cures. And causes and cures is basically like a medieval WebMD. And in some ways, it's probably better, because it does not leave the reader fairly certain they will drop dead soon. It has remedies and advice on all sorts of common injuries and illnesses. Now, some of the things in this book, modern people might scoff at. For instance, she states that the best time to conceive a child is when the moon is waxing, which doesn't entirely seem scientific. Also, her measurements are humorously inexact. At one point, she says the desired volume of fluid is the amount a thirsty person can drink in one gulp. I'm not sure what the conversion of that is to ounces. But she would also give some very good herbal remedies, which even in modern times have proven to work. While it might not be a modern medical textbook, it's still a masterpiece for its time. And if you lived in the 1100s, it would be a very nice thing to have around. But still, this is not all of Hildegard's accomplishments. As Hildegard's fame grew, she would also become an influencer of Germany and all of Europe in both secular and church politics. Emperors and popes would take notice of what she said, and she was not afraid to publicly condemn their actions. Hildegard also weighed in on theological controversies of the day. For instance, she wrote against a heresy that was taking hold in southern France called the Cathars. The Cathars believed that everything physical was evil and that only spiritual things were good. This is a heresy that's pretty similar to the Gnostic heresy, which is a heresy that goes back all the way to the 200s AD. Now, as we have seen, Hildegard was very interested in the physical world and believed that creation, while flawed, was still good and beautiful. She also believed that the spirit and the body were created to be together and that the true health of each was connected to the other. So it's easy to see why she was not a fan of the Cathars. As an influencer, she would write and publicly speak on many topics. She attacked the corruption in the church and practices such as simony. She encouraged the priests and the bishops to take their jobs seriously and to realize they were accountable to God. She even took several speaking tours throughout Europe, which was highly unusual. Unusual both because she was a woman and because she was a layperson. But as we have seen, Hildegard is anything but usual. She continued to go on speaking tours and write into her later life. However, when she was 80 years old, Hildegard had one final sad controversy with a nearby archbishop. One day, a young man guilty of murder came to Hildegard's convent of Rupertsburg. The man was ill, and Hildegard and her nuns gave him care and medicine. 
On his deathbed, he repented of all his sins and died. He was buried nearby in the convent's burial grounds. When the local bishop learned of this, he wanted the body of the young man to be dug up, because, he said, such a sinner could not be buried in holy ground. But Hildegard refused. She said that he had confessed his sins and was forgiven, and should therefore be buried there just like any other forgiven Christian. She even had all the markers of the grave removed, so that if the body was tried to be dug up, it couldn't be found. Because she would not budge on this, the archbishop had the convent placed under the interdict. And that meant that her and her nuns could not receive the sacrament of communion, and they could not sing the songs that they were so used to. Since Hildegard had such a love of music, this must have been very hard. And while she would not give up the body, she did respect the discipline sentenced to her. Thankfully, before she died, this interdict was lifted, and she could hear music in her convent again. She died in the year 1179, at the age of 82. She had friends and students and admirers and some adversaries throughout Europe. Soon after, a book called The Life of Hildegard was published. It was compiled and written by two of her friends, Gottfried and Theodorich. So Hildegard is a pretty amazing woman, as I'm sure you can see. She's a Renaissance woman before the Renaissance was even a thing. She was orthodox, yet original. She was bold, yet also submissive to the church's discipline. She was unafraid, and also humble. She was not polished, but nevertheless, she was relentless. And she's still remembered by many today. In the last 40 years, her music has been rediscovered and widespread, and it's even appeared in movie soundtracks, like the 2005 best picture Crash. My wife randomly discovered that a few days ago, so thank you, Hannah. Her music is performed fairly regularly now by some musical groups, and she's remembered as a great musical pioneer. Also, the new Netflix reboot of Sabrina mentions Hildegard, though it claims Hildegard was a witch. As we have seen, nothing could be further from the truth. Sorry, Netflix. And I don't think Hildegard herself would be too happy with you calling her one. In Germany, Hildegard is remembered as a natural scientist, an herbologist, and a holistic healer. And in the church, she is remembered as a saint and a scholar. In fact, just seven years ago, in 2012, Hildegard was officially made a doctor of the Catholic Church. But how did Hildegard see herself? Well, in one small section, we see her describe herself as a feather on the breath of God. She says this, The king chose to lift a small feather from the ground, and he commanded it to fly just as the king himself wished. But a feather does not fly on its own accord. It is borne up by the air. So too I am not imbued with human doctrine or strong powers, nor do I desire good bodily health. Rather, I depend entirely on God's help. She would go where he sent her, always striving to be faithful in her own very creative and very free-spirited way. So that's all I have on Hildegard. Next time we will look at another very great reformer of this same time period, and while he didn't write any medical textbooks or any musicals, he still is very important to the history of the church. In fact, he may be the most famous person we talk about yet. Next episode, we will look at St. Francis of Assisi and the great reform movement he led throughout Europe. 
Don't forget to check out the website of this podcast, faithfulforebears.com. And I just started a Facebook page. So if you haven't done it, go find it and like it. If you have any questions or comments, please send them my way through Facebook or the website or my email. And don't forget to write me a nice review and tell a friend. I'm Eric Clausen, and thanks for listening.